Good evening and welcome to the FIFA World Cup show. Today is the 22nd of December in the year of our Lord. It's just how many days more to Christmas? Three days to Christmas and nine days until the end of 2021 wherever you are tuning in to this episode from whether you are in the usa on the african continent americas asia europe and oceania welcome to the most exciting informative and educative sports show on the calling platform with yours truly philip alimo i have love for sports what made South Africa so 2010 and the World Cup such a magnificent one? I'm going to tell you tonight on today's episode, specially dedicated to the 2010 FIFA World Cup. So tonight, this morning, this afternoon, wherever you are tuning in to this episode from and whatever it is that you are doing and the time where you are located, sit back, relax, and enjoy as I take you on this cruise back in time to 2010 when Africa hosted the first World Cup, the Vuvuzelas, the colorful fans, the magnificent stadiums, the Jambulani, Maradona's return, the unbelievable goals, the goal that never was in the England versus Germany game that ignited the debate around good goal line technology, the sea of red cards, the hand of God 2.0, the Ghanaian heartbreak, total football, Tiki Taka, Iniesta's extra time magic, and Spain's first World Cup win. That's what made South Africa 2010. So 2010, 
Yes, this is it. On this show, your most educative and informative sports show on the calling platform. I'm here to give you all the details that you need to know. The 2010 FIFA World Cup was the 19th FIFA World Cup, the World Championship for Men's National Association football teams. It took place in South Africa from the 11th of June to the 11th of July, 2010. The bidding process for hosting the tournament finals was open only to African nations. In 2004, the International Football Federation, FIFA, selected South Africa over Egypt and Morocco to become the first African nation to host the finals. The teams, how many teams participated in the World Cup? 32 teams from six federations and nine host cities, 10 stadiums. 64 games, 145 goals was scored and 3,178,856,000 fans watched the games and 49,670 per game was recorded in terms of attendance at the stadium. The matches were played in 10 stadiums in nine host cities around the country with the opening and final played at the Soccer City Stadium in South Africa's largest city, Johannesburg. 32 teams were selected for participation via a worldwide qualification tournament that began in August 2007. In the first round of the tournament finals, the teams competed in a round-robin groups of four teams for points with the top two teams in each group proceeding. These 16 teams advanced to the knockout stage where three rounds of play decided which teams would participate in the final. In the final, Spain, the European champions, defeated three-time losing finalists, the Netherlands, 1-0 after extra time to win their first World Cup. Spain became the eighth nation to win the tournament and the first European nation to win a World Cup hosted outside its home continent. All previous World Cups held outside Europe had been won by South American nations. That is an information for my dearest audience and listeners. They are are also the only national team since 1978 to win a World Cup after losing a game in the group stage. As a result of their win, Spain represented the world in the 2013 FIFA Confederations Cup. Host nation South Africa and both 2006 World Cup finalists Italy and France were all eliminated in the first round of the 2010 FIFA World Cup. It was the first time that the host had been eliminated in the first round. New Zealand, with three draws, were the only undefeated team in the tournament, but they were also eliminated in the first round. How was the host selected? Africa was chosen as the host for the 2010 World Cup as part of a short-lived rotation policy 
abandoned in 2007 to rotate the event among football federations. Five African nations placed bids to host the 2010 World Cup. Egypt, Morocco, South Africa, and a joint bid from Libya and Tunisia. Following the decision of the FIFA Executive Committee not to allow co-hosted tournaments, Tunisia withdrew from the bidding process. The committee also decided to not to consider Libya's solo bid as it no longer met all the stipulations laid down in the official list of requirements. The winning bid was announced by FIFA president, then FIFA president, Seb Blatter, at a media conference on 15th May 2004 in Zurich. In the first round of the voting, South Africa received 14 votes, Morocco received 10 votes, Egypt no votes, South Africa, which had narrowly failed to win the right to host the 2006 event, was eventually awarded the right to host the tournament. Campaigning for South Africa to be granted the hosting right was Nelson Mandela, who had previously spoken of the importance of football in his life, stating that whilst in incarceration in Robin Island prison, playing football made us feel alive and triumphant despite the situation we found ourselves in. The late Nelson Mandela is such an inspirational figure, not just in, in the world of politics, but in humanity. He lived 27 years of his life behind bars, yet when he came out of prison, he was magnanimous to forgive those who wrongly offended him. As we are celebrating the Christmas, as we are about to enter a new year, whoever has offended you, whoever has stepped on your toe in one way or the other, whatever it is that there are differences, let's use this eulogy to make peace and to reach out to one another. Love is the greatest gift that God gave to mankind. With South Africa winning their bid, an emotional late Nelson Mandela raised the World Cup trophy. During 2006 and 2007, rumors circulated in various news sources that the 2010 World Cup would be moved to another country. Frank Bakenbach and reportedly some FIFA executives expressed concern over the planning, organization, and pace of South Africa's preparations. FIFA officials repeatedly expressed their confidence in South Africa as host, stating that a contingency plan existed only to cover natural catastrophes as it had been in place at various FIFA World Cups. And that World Cup was one of the best and is still one of the best to have been held in the history of the FIFA World Cup. And for many of my dearest listeners, that was a World Cup that announced yours truly onto the international stage. And ever since, I've not looked back. What was the qualification process like? The qualification draw for the 2010 World Cup was held in Durban on 25th November 2007 as the host nation South Africa qualified automatically for the tournament. As happened in the previous tournament, the defending champions were not given an automatic berth, and Italy had to participate in the qualification with a pool of entrants comprising 204 of the 208 FIFA national teams at the time. The 2010 World Cup shares 
with the 2008 Summer Olympics as a record for most competing nations in a sporting event. Some controversies arose during the, during the qualifications in the second leg of the playoff between France and the Republic of Ireland. French captain and former French international Thierry Henry, unseen by the referee, handled the ball in the lead-up to a late goal, which enabled France to qualify ahead of Ireland, sparking widespread comments and debate. FIFA rejected a request from the Football Association of Ireland to replay the match, and Ireland later withdrew a request to be included as an unprecedented 33rd World Cup entrance. As a result, FIFA announced a review into the use of technology or extra officials at the highest level, but decided against the widely expected fast-tracking of goal line referee assistance for the South Africa tournament. Costa Rica complained over Uruguay's winning goal in the Conabel CONCACAF playoff, whilst Egypt's and Algeria's November 2009 matches was surrounded by reports of crowd violence and trouble. On the subject of fair play, the former FIFA president, Seb Blatter, had this to say, and I quote him, I appeal to the players and coaches to observe this fair play. In 2010, we want to prove that football is more than just kicking a ball, but has social and cultural value. So we ask the players, please observe fair play so there will be an example to the rest of the world. Slovakia was making its first appearance as an independent nation, but had previously been represented as part of the Czechoslovakia team that had played in the last World Cup in the 1990 FIFA World Cup. North Korea qualified for the first time since 1966, and I remember watching that North Korean team trashed by Portugal at the Cape Town Stadium, known as the Greenpoint Stadium at the time. Honduras and New Zealand were both making their first appearances since 1982, and Algeria were the first, were at the finals for the first time since 1986. Serbia also made their first appearance as an independent nation, having previously been present as a kingdom of Yugoslavia in 1930, and as SFR Yugoslavia from 1950 to 1990, and as FR Yugoslavia in 1998, and as Serbia and Montenegro in 2006. Teams that failed to qualify for this tournament in the 2010 World Cup included Saudi Arabia, which had qualified for the previous four tournaments, Tunisia and Croatia, both of whom had qualified for the previous three finals, Costa Rica, Ecuador, Poland, and Sweden, who had qualified for the various two editions, the 2006 quarterfinalist Ukraine and 2008 semifinalist Russia, and 2008 Euro semifinalists Russia and Turkey. The highly ranked team not to qualify was Croatia, then ranked 10th, while the lowest ranked team that did not qualify, that did qualify, was North Korea, which was ranked 105th at the time. 
As at 2018, this was the last time South Africa, New Zealand, North Korea, Paraguay, Slovakia, Slovenia qualified for FIFA World Cup finals. And the last time Costa Rica, Colombia, Iran, Belgium, Croatia, and Russia failed to qualify. The list of qualified teams that played at the 2010 World Cup. From Asia, we had four teams, namely Australia, that was ranked 20th at the time, Japan, that was ranked 45th at the time, North Korea, that was ranked 105 at the time, and South Korea, that was ranked 47. These were the teams, the four teams from Asia. Africa had six teams, which was unprecedented. Algeria, then ranked 30th. Cameroon, then ranked 19th in the world. Ghana, then ranked 32nd. Ivory Coast, then ranked 27th. Nigeria, then ranked 21st. And host, South Africa, that was then ranked 83rd as per the FIFA ranking in 2010. In CONCACAF, we had Honduras, that was ranked 38th. Mexico, ranked 17th. And the United States of America, which was ranked 14th. South America had Argentina, which was ranked 7th. Brazil, which was ranked number 1 at the time. Chile, ranked 18th. Paraguay, ranked 31 at the time. And Uruguay, ranked 16th at the time. Oceania had New Zealand, which was ranked 78th. UEFA had 13 teams, namely Denmark, which was ranked 36th. England, which was ranked 8th. France, which was ranked 9th. Germany, which was ranked 6th. Greece, which was ranked 13th. Italy, which was ranked 5th. Netherlands, which was ranked 4th. Portugal, which was ranked 3rd. Serbia, which was ranked 15th. Slovakia, which was ranked 34th. Slovenia, which was ranked 25th. Spain, which were ranked 2nd. And Switzerland, which was ranked 24th. How did the preparations for the World Cup go like in terms of the construction of the stadium and infrastructure? I'm going to give you all the details that you need to know. Five new stadiums were built for the tournament and five of the existing venues were upgraded. Construction cost was expected to be 8.4 billion rands, just over 1 billion or 950 million euros at the time. South Africa also improved its public transport infrastructure within the host cities, including Johannesburg, Carlton, and other metro systems. And major road networks were also improved. In March 2009, Danny Jordan, the president of the 2010 organizing committee, reported that all stadiums for the tournament were on schedule to be completed within six months. The country implemented special measures to ensure the safety and security of spectators in accordance with the standard FIFA security measures, including a temporary restriction of flight operation in the airspace surrounding the stadiums. At a ceremony to mark 100 days 
before the event, the then FIFA president, Sablata, praised the readiness of South Africa to host the event. What is the price money and what was the price money for the World Cup at the time? The total price money on offer for the tournament was confirmed by FIFA as 420 million US dollars, including payments of 40 million, 40 million US dollars to domestic clubs, a 60% increase on the 2006 tournament that was held in Germany. Before the tournament, each of the 32 participating teams received $1 million for preparation costs. Once at the tournament, the prize money was distributed in the following order. $8 million US dollars to each team eliminated at the group stage. So all 16 teams received $9.49 million US dollars. That is equivalent if you are speaking as of today in terms of the inflation and everything. And each team eliminated in the round of 16, which is the eight teams that were eliminated, received 9 million US dollars. In today's valuation terms, it amounts to 10.68 million US dollars. Each team eliminated in the quarterfinals, that is the, the four teams that were eliminated in the quarterfinals, received $14 million. In today's evaluation terms, in terms of evaluation, inflation, and everything, it amounts to $16.61 million US dollars. The fourth place team received $18 million. In today's evaluation, it is 21.36 million US dollars. The third place team received $20 million at a time. If I include inflation, like I've, I've, I've indicated earlier on, in today's terms, as of 2021, it is 23.74 million US dollars. The runners up at that World Cup at the time, which was the Netherlands, received $24 million. In today's valuation, it is 28.48 million US dollars. The winner, Spain, received 30 million US dollars at the time, which amounts to today 35.6 million United States dollars. In a first for the World Cup, FIFA made payments to the domestic clubs of players representing their national teams at the tournament. This saw a total of 40 million US dollars paid to domestic clubs. This was the result of an agreement reached in 2008 between FIFA and European clubs to disband the G14 group and drop their claims for compensation dating back to 2005 over the financial costs of injuries sustained to players whilst on international duty such that, and there was a specific case from a Belgian club Chalaroy for the injury to Morocco's Abedil Majid in a friendly game in 2004 and from English club Newcastle for an injury to Michael Owen to England's Michael Owen in the 2006 World Cup in Germany.
If you are just tuning in, this is the special edition of the FIFA World Cup show where I'm taking you back in time to the 2010 World Cup. What were the venues for the World Cup? The venues at the time, in 2005, the organizers released a provisional list of 13 venues to be used for the World Cup, namely Bloemfontein, Cape Town, Durban, Johannesburg are two venues, Kimberley, Kimsdrop, Nelspritz, Organic, Polokwani, Port Elizabeth, Pretoria, and Rustenburg. This was narrowed down to 10 venues that were officially announced by FIFA on 17th March 2006. The altitude of several venues affected the motion of the ball and the player performances, although FIFA's medical chief downplayed this consideration. Six of the 10 venues were over 1,200 meters above sea level, with two Johannesburg venues, the FNB Stadium, then known as the Soccer City, and Ellis Park, the highest at approximately 1,750 above sea level. The FNB Stadium, the Cape Town Stadium, the Nelson Mandela Bay Stadium in Port Elizabeth were the most used stadium venues. Venues, each hosting eight matches. Ellis Park Stadium and the Moses Mabinda Stadium in Durban hosted seven matches each, while the Loftus Stadium in Pretoria, the Free State Stadium in Bloemfontein, and the Royal Bafakin Stadium in Rustenburg hosted six games. The Peter Mukeba Stadium in Polokwane and Imbola Stadium in Nelspruit hosted four games each, but did not host any knockout game. The team base for the World Cup. The base camps were used by the 34 by the 32 national squads to stay and train before, during the World Cup. In February 2010, FIFA announced the base camps for each participating team. 15 teams were in the Carlton province, while six teams were based in KwaZulu-Natal, four in the Western Cape, three in Northwestern province, and one each in Pumulanga, Eastern Cape, and then the Northern Cape. So which teams were based in the various locations that I just mentioned? Eastern Cape had my beloved Ghana, and Carlton had 15 teams camped in Carlton. And in alphabetical order, I mentioned them. Argentina, Australia, Germany, Honduras, Italy, Mexico, Netherlands, New Zealand, North Korea, Serbia, Slovakia, Slovenia, South Africa, Switzerland, United States. KwaZulu-Natal had Algeria, had seven teams, namely Algeria, Cameroon, Greece, Ivory Coast, Nigeria, Paraguay, and Portugal. Pumalanga had one, which was Chile, and the Northwest 
province had England, South Korea, and Spain. The Northern Cape had Uruguay, and the Western Cape had four teams, namely Brazil, Denmark, France, and Japan. How was the opening ceremony? I'm going to give you that except shortly. Let me just round up with a few details about the mascots. The official mascot for the 2010 World Cup was Zakumi. An entramorphosized African leopard with green hair presented on the 22nd of September 2008. His name came from the international abbreviation for South Africa, namely ZA. And the term Kumi, which means the number 10 in various African languages. The mascot colors reflected those of the host nation playing strip, which was yellow and green. The official song for the 2010 World Cup was Waka Waka, this time for Africa, was performed by the Colombian singer Shakira and the band freshly ground from South Africa and it sung both in English and Spanish. The song based on traditional African soldier song, Zangalewa, Shakira and the freshly ground band performed the song at the pre-tournament concert in Soweto on the 10th of June. It was also sung at the opening ceremony on the 11th of June and at the closing ceremony on 11th July. The official anthem of the 2010 World Cup was a sign of victory by Robert Al Kelly with the Soweto spiritual singers, which was also performed at the opening ceremony. The match ball for the 2010 World Cup, which was manufactured by Adidas, was named Jambolani, which means bringing joy to everyone in Zulu. It was the 11th World Cup match ball made by the German sports equipment manufacturer. It featured 11 colors, representing each player of a team on the pitch and the 11 official languages of South Africa. A special match ball with gold panels called the Jambolani was used at the finals in Johannesburg. The ball was constructed using a new design consisting of eight terminally bounded three-dimensional panels. These were spheric, spheric, this were, the surface of the ball was textured with growths, a technology developed by Adidas called Griff Growth that was intended to improve the aerodynamics of the ball. The design received considerable academic inputs being developed in partnership with researchers from Lovebrook University in the United Kingdom. The balls were made in China using latest made in India and thermoplastic from Taiwan. Some football stars complained about the ball, the new ball, arguing that its movements were difficult to predict. The Brazilian goalkeeper, Julio Cesar, 
compared it to a supermarket ball at the time that favored strikers and worked against goalkeepers. Argentine uh, uh, legend and coach at the time, Diego Maradona, had this to say about the ball. And I quote, we won't see any long passes in the World Cup because the ball doesn't fly straight. However, a number of Adidas-sponsored players responded favorably to the ball. Vuvuzela. Let me tell you more about the Vuvuzela. Then we'll come to excerpts of the World Cup. The 2010 finals amplified international football awareness of the Vuvuzela, a long on blown by fans throughout matches. Many World Cup competitors complained about the noise caused by the Vuvuzela horns, including France, Patrice Evra, who complained that the horns for the team's poor performances. Other critics included Lionel Messi, who complained that the sound of the Vuvuzela's hampered communication among players on the pitch and broadcasting companies which complained that commentators' voices were drowned out by the Vuvuzela. Let me give you some excerpts of when the opening goal was scored by Shabalala and what it meant for Shabalala. The FIFA World Cup in South Africa was the first ever edition to be held in the African continent. Hosting the tournament usually allows the hosts to showcase the culture and passion of the country. But in 2010, it meant so much more. The second the team got off the bus, they were setting the tone for their home tournament, replicating joyous scenes up and down the nation. The players wanted to make an impression on the pitch too, including midfielder Sifiwe Shabalala. At the age of 25, he collected his 50th cap for South Africa on that opening day. Under the deafening sound of the Vuvuzelas, the match got underway. It remained level with Mexico very closest to opening for scoring, but had their attempt disallowed. Until in the 55th minute, Shabalala did this. Not only the 85,000 Soccer City Stadium, but the whole of South Africa erupted. Sin said that the millisecond it left his foot, he knew it was in, and that the importance of that goal is something that has never escaped him. Even though Mexico pulled one back, the impact of Shabalala's strike is still felt today, with how it united the continent. It was duly nominated for that year's FIFA Puskas Award, and it truly was a goal for all of Africa. Most certainly, that goal was a goal, not just for South Africa, but for the whole of Africa. I was privileged to be part of the 85,000 people in the stadium on that fateful day when Shabalala scored that beautiful goal. And it was defeating, and it is the best opening goal in the history of the FIFA World Cup. Not just by my opinion, but that is what the bookmakers say. And what that goal, 
had to do for a nation. Football is about friendship. It's about connecting people from different and diverse backgrounds. And for many people who know the history behind South Africa, this is South Africa was a nation having come from apartheid and the struggle for independence and power. And the World Cup brought people from different backgrounds, rich and poor, black, white, different backgrounds together for the first time. And when Shabalala scored that goal, you could see the significance and how people embraced each other. It could, you could feel it, not just in South Africa, but from the farthest point of the African continent and across the entire 52 nations on the African continent. In Ghana, my beloved country, Ghana, many people were just gathering in different spots. Some people were watching the game from their homes, in the comfort of their homes. Some people from pubs, some people in churches, some people in the community uh, playing center. Different, 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 and different reactions from different parts of the continent. And it was just an amazing feeling. And we are going to hear from Shabalala himself to tell us how he felt when he struck that goal and what feeling it gave him, knowing that his goal united not just his country, but the whole Africa. I think Shaba is an icon. He's an icon. Time and again, you know, he's there to give advice to the young players. South Africa celebrates Shaba wherever he goes. Safiwe Shabalala is a household name in his native South Africa. His is an inspirational story that his compatriots across the nation can readily relate to. Yeah, I was born and um, raised in Soweto, um, Piri location. That's where I grew up, and that's the place where my love for football began. I started playing um, in the dusty streets of Piri, and uh, we used to play in the streets, and we used to use um, bricks and make them a goalpost. So what, what would happen was um, we'd watch uh, the game on TV, and then after the game, and you know, we always go outside and make sure that we, we try and, and copy what uh, the professionals were, were doing in the in the real game. As a young boy, he idolised Sowetan club Kaiser Chiefs. Growing up, my role model was uh, Dr. Kumar. So whenever Chiefs was playing, uh, I'd make sure that I was glued on the screen and uh, Bafana Bafana as well. So I really looked up to him. You know, really inspired me, and he is um, one person that gave me hope because he was also from Soweto. Shabba's own rise from the townships to Bafana Bafana was meteoric. So sudden, even he was shocked. Initially, I was called up for the under 23, and the coach then was uh, Steve Compella. I got a, a late call from uh, the team manager that. Um, I'm no longer going to the under-23s. So yeah, I nearly, you know, got a heart attack. But he later told me that um, I've been selected to see the national team. So I couldn't believe it. You know, I kept pinching uh, myself. As a World Cup on home soil approached, Shabalala had established himself as an international regular. It was um, great for, for South Africa to, to host uh, the 2010 FIFA World Cup. 
uh, not only South Africa, but Africa as a whole. It was, um, you know, history. And we had a great, uh, you know, six months of, of uh, preparing for the World Cup. I think we, we were ready. And, you know, first game, it was a big game. You know, um, it was a big stage. The eyes of the world were on the Rainbow Nation as they hosted Mexico in the opening game. The match that would define Shabba's career. I think it was a reward from my hard work as a kid. The rest of the world saw him score the beautiful goal against Mexico, the opener. That was a scorcher. The Mexico were in possession and it was Emilio Soliniano who won the ball and he gave it to Garcia de Hashua. That made um, a good run from, from the left and he, he played a defense beating pass. Uh, I knew in my mind that uh, the keeper was off his line. My intention was just to, to, to lop it over. But on second thought, I just missed uh, a powerful shot. And I think I had a great uh, connection with the ball and the technique was there. And yeah, the rest of the history. A lace Mexican equalizer spoiled the Bafana Bafana party. Defeat against Uruguay would see the hosts go out on goal difference despite victory over France in their final group game. We were all disappointed uh, with that, but we, we gave our all. And I think, you know, um, we still have something to show that we, we had a great success in terms of hosting the World Cup. Six years on, the Kaiser Chiefs captain is still an integral part of South African football and continues to influence those around him. If you're playing against a player or playing with a player who's been in the World Cup, the pedigree rubs off you. And our supporters as well take pride in him. And his performances at his age, at 31, is still growing. And which then talks to the nature of the African player. He's a very friendly guy and he's been with the team for long. You know, so he's been doing a great job so far. I'm about to reach a milestone of playing uh, 300 games for Kaiser Chiefs. And I just want to work very hard and hopefully I'll play maybe another 100 games for Kaiser Chiefs and reach 100 uh, caps for the national team. With so many milestones to reflect on, this African icon's proudest achievement remains that special day at Soccer City when the boy from Soweto ignited the hopes of a continent. It united the nation. Everyone is so happy, all the Africans, you know, everyone back at home. Um, I just put smiles on their face uh, with that goal. Yes, that goal from Shabalala ignited the hopes of a poor boy who had dreams of playing at the highest level. And it ignited the hopes of the entire nation. On this note, we come to an end of an exciting episode, the first of three series. Tomorrow, we'll continue with part two, where we'll also hear from some key stakeholders and their journey at the 2010 World Cup. And we'll also hear from Spain, the winning team. We'll hear from Xavi, Carlos Puyol, Ike Casillas, and how that particular tournament shaped their lives. So make a date. And don't just make a date to join us, but tell your friends, share 
the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, and let's grow together. On this note as well, I'd also like to express my sincere gratitude to the entire team at Colin, Charlie, Olivia, Avery, Chase, and to all the team working hard behind the scenes to ensure that we have a wonderful platform to which myself and many other content creators can express their love and their passion. In the spirit of the Ulitide, I wish you, your entire families, and the entire team at Calling a happy Christmas and a prosperous new year. Until same time tomorrow, it's been fun coming your way with today's edition of the FIFA World Cup show. It's bye for now.